Hey, what's up? Welcome back to Talking Taekwondo. Today I'm speaking with Mr. Adam Shelley. He's one of ITF Taekwondo's most decorated tournament fighters. He's won everything there is to win. Um, it's a really fascinating conversation. We talk about his tournament career, including you know all the setbacks and adversity he went through to get to the top level. Um, and it's a really cool uh, insight into the mindset you need to have as a top competitor. We also get into his other roles now as a, as a coach in his own club with his brother and uh, his, his transition to MMA and stuff like this. It's a fascinating uh, conversation and I'm sure you'll take loads of value out of it like I did. If you're enjoying all of this, I'd really like you to give it a share and a subscribe and a like and all of that jazz. And uh, yeah, as always, stay safe and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye. Cool, we're in. Right, deadly. Yeah. Cool. So, I mean, I'm talking with yourself. I'm here with Mr. Adam Shelley. Mr. Shelley, how is tricks? How is life? How are you getting on? I'm good. I'm just about surviving. Um, just trying to keep some type of normality and routine to my life at the moment with all the madness that's going on. But uh, we're getting there. Um, I'm coming up with different ways to keep myself busy each day and each week that passes. So that's all I can really do. How are yeah. you coming? Yeah, I mean, it's the same. Everyone's kind of saying the same sort of stuff, you know, uh, it's it's mad to go from from full tilt to sort of stop in a weekend like you know uh and it's just it's it's taking its time i'm, I'm actually kind of lucky the day that it happened i actually I, I transport my gear from club to club sometimes i actually have some pads and stuff at home now that i wouldn't have had it had it had it happened any other day i'd be no i'd have had all my gear locked away in a club and somewhere else but i have a few bits that i can hit it here but uh yeah it's it's crazy and it is what it is and uh that's kind of one of the reasons that we you know, started making these sort of phone calls to people is sort of get the community talking to each other and share a few stories and broaden the sort of uh, picture for people who might not know all the details, you know. And uh, yeah, look, I mean, I really appreciate you sitting down and having a chat with me. I know uh, things are, in spite of being not busy, I'm sure you have enough to be doing to keep yourself occupied. So I do appreciate the time. No, uh, no, have me on. But uh, it, that's actually, you know, we were supposed to do yesterday, but yesterday was actually the first day I was bi- like, like jam-packed busy throughout the quarantine yeah. we had a bit of digging and stuff to do out the back garden and then Absolutely. i was doing a bit of work and something evening so like it was just uh flat out but uh today now is a bit more um quarantine normality so <laughs> i had plenty of time to do it excellent excellent so i mean like let's just get into it a little bit so how are you i mean let's let's talk let's talk the modern situation like what are you doing to keep your training up when you're now that you're stuck indoors and i mean you're going old school with digging, clearly, but there must be a little bit more to it than that. <laughs> uh, to be honest, I'm quite lucky in that I um, have like Ryan there, uh, my younger brother. We've done all our training together for years. So mm-hmm. we've been sparring and uh, grappling and stuff on the grass out the back garden. We have a big back garden. We're lucky there. So we're, we're getting loads of drilling and stuff. We've loads of pads and shields at home. So we're getting all that done in the garden. We have weights in the shed. So we're oh, getting, nice. keeping up our strength work and stuff. And then we were blessed. We have a, a big park literally facing our door, like, you know, across oh, the road. Right. Um, so getting loads of running in there too. So to be honest, like, I'm still getting two sessions in a day, which is great. Um, mm. But it's it's not worth the team. It's not proper sparring and stuff. But to be honest, like, I'm quite confident that when, when this is all said and done, like, I'll be ready to jump straight into a fight or some type of competition anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, the weight is creeping up a little bit just from being at home the whole day and just probably eating for the sake of it. But yeah. it's actually not doing me any harm either because, like, I'm I'm even saying it to Ryan, like, I'm so recovered between training sessions. Like, just because we're resting and then obviously nutrition is on point because yeah, I have time yeah. and loads of stuff. Um, so, yeah, other, like, that's one good positive and we're getting to do things we don't usually do. So, um, yeah, look and see how it affects my performance when we're all back. 
Yeah, that's cool. I mean, and you're like, you're blessed here to have an asset like that. Like you said, like you have you have your brother to train with, you have your own sort of gym nearly set up there. Though. So I mean, yeah, that's kind of a nice. Uh, that's a a little bit of fortune there, I suppose, is the way to look at that that's one. Cool. But uh, you know, so I mean, like you're you're a, you're a well well decorated uh, ITF fighter, and you're making a move now to MMA as well. I wonder if we can kind of go through the whole story and how things got started for you and kind of bring us up to speed for people who might have been living under a rock and haven't been aware of you for a while. Uh, why don't you talk us through uh, how you got started in Taekwondo and where, where it came from there and that we'll sort of take a conversation on from there. Yeah, basically, uh, so my story, it's it's quite similar to a lot of guys in that, like, you know, um, my parents did want to, well, my dad especially wanted me to, have some involvement in martial arts and combat sports just for self-defense and obviously it's important uh, in this day and age and then um, me having two brothers so Ryan my younger brother Alex my older brother like you know we would have been messing a lot at home just fighting and stuff like that showing an interest in that side of things just from watching movies and stuff my dad Mm. just like old Bruce Lee movies and stuff so obviously we're trying to mimic that so when we started showing an interest he just uh, started researching uh, local clubs like it it wasn't specific to Taekwondo could have been karate could have been kickboxing could have been anything and there was a Taekwondo club nearby put us into that and um, it was a good club it was actually under AIMA um, what is it Action International Martial Arts something like that Um, same patterns as us but slightly different Um, so that's where we were for three years loaded up there uh, just, you know, just sparring, kicking pads, just the basic stuff. Yeah. Hadn't really done any competitions, played football as well. Uh, then we moved to Australia for a year as a family. Um, and then I trained WTF over there. Nice. Um, I didn't really enjoy it that much over there, to be honest. I uh, don't know, was it the club? or like to be, It probably was the club because like, I didn't spar in the whole year I was there, considering I had three years Taekwondo experience. Wow, and that's weird as a WT club as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and like that would have been my favourite aspect to it. So yeah. to be honest, I was getting a little bit browned off with that, but my dad kept me interested, just kept me going. Then when we moved back, um, it was only after a year, so that was in 2005, um, he registered as in, uh, in Leicester with Niall Jones, yeah. and that's where the real uh, spark and love for it sort of set in, and, yeah, yeah. and that's, where, that's where it all took off, like. It's funny the difference when you get a coach in a club that you really want to work in, the difference that can make. That's um, unbelievable. And that's even something now that I'm trying to do with my kids in the club. And I speak to other coaches about this. And it's quite evident in anybody who's successful in the sport. The kids who have a love for it, the kids who love what they're doing, like they're like running in the door to train and they're there 20 minutes early. That's the first ingredient to success, really. Like, because if you don't love what you're doing, it's going to be quite miserable, isn't it? So, yeah, and uh, like that's not just in martial arts, that's across the board, right? I mean, you know, you got to enjoy what you're doing, or or else you just you just give up on it, and or you or you won't give up on it, but you'll be miserable. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, and and you won't put that that extra bit that's that's required in, like you know. So that's one thing, uh, Mr. Jones, um, was really uh, whether he meant it or not, he uh, he just made me love taekwondo like you know i just couldn't get enough of it want to do extra classes left right and center and um that just sort of guided me towards the national team then and obviously that was a completely different ball game there absolutely and i definitely want to get into that but i mean uh so like i mean were you a, a broad spectrum taekwondo guy patterns sparring spec tech the works was that everything it didn't matter to you or was it or still like no i just really want to go fight and was that still the sort of main thing <laughs> 
in the beginning, like, you know, uh, see, we would have been in the INTA when uh, yeah. I first started competing. So I don't remember them ever doing spec tech or power breaking for color belts as junior. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I, but I always did sparring and patterns. Um, I wasn't that successful in patterns really. Um, but I always, like, actually, I did enjoy competing in patterns. And obviously, Mr. Jones is so technically in every way uh, yeah. good at patterns and stuff. Um, so I was always trying to push for medals because there was other kids in the club that were doing really well in patterns. Um, my younger brother, Ryan, was pretty good at them. Mm. So uh, up until I'd say, up until I was senior, I would have always competed in both. Um, up until I was senior, yeah, uh, sparring and patterns. And then, um, just because I wanted to put so much into sparring and I knew what it took to sort of get to the top level, I just I parked uh, competing in patterns. I still trained in the club, yeah, but I didn't give it the extra attention it needed. I just put all that into yeah. sparring then. And I mean, you're you're coming through in that generation where we start to sort of see specialists emerge, right? Whereas I think a few sort of campaigns before your your kind of peak, I think you would have had guys that were multidisciplined all the way through their career and had been, and you know. I wonder is that that's a really interesting one. I mean, about the whole uh, sort of specialising early versus specialising late. And I mean, do you think do you think it's something that's 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 becoming more prevalent now, seeing specialists emerge quicker? Uh, definitely, yeah. Like for example, the likes of Mark Trotter, uh, Alexander Leonov is a Russian guy, uh, Maxim Bajold, all them lads would have been sort of quite successful in both disciplines. Mm. Uh, I'd say back around, you're probably talking 2005, 2006, yeah. 2007, maybe up as far as 2010. At the moment, I can't really think of anybody that's um, really successful in both. I know Jamie Williams competes in both, but he gets the, the majority of his medals inspiring. Yeah, and I know uh, even talking to him recently, he was sort of going, yeah, I think I'm going to just focus exclusively nearly on the sparring stuff and so you're starting yeah. to see Hong, Hong started to do that at the end, didn't he? Did, did Hong still compete in patterns near the end of his career then? Think so, but I, I I I couldn't I couldn't be sure off the top of my head. I know he, he was he, he was always in there. He was always in there, but the bulk of his success came from sparring. All of his yeah. medals came from sparring. Mm. I know that. Uh, Timothy Boss would be pretty good at both. Yeah. Um, Sylvia Fariga, she's up there as well, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out there now, but they're them. A good few of the juniors, and that sort of leads into what we're just saying. The juniors mm. can do both, but at senior level, it seems uh, very very rare that you see somebody that's that's a competitive that's a successful amount yeah 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 true i mean it's it just i suppose it speaks to the standard and the the work you have to put in uh in each division right like it's it's not something it's you can kind of competing in a gaelic football in hurling yeah and um, you get a kid who can be let's say a really gifted athlete and right up to their teenage years they're being they're playing both i knew lads they're playing like club hurling, club football, school hurling, school football, and they're just being, and then eventually, once they start to hit under 21, they're hitting senior level, they have to pick, like, you know, you, yeah, you can't yeah. pick them out. Um, so, yeah, it's the same in all sports, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting thing around coaching, and I, I, I want to get into that, because I know you kinda, you've gone that road now with your own club in the future, and I will definitely come on to what your th- philosophy is in a minute, but I want to kind of dig into your own career a little bit before we go down that road, if you don't mind. Um, so I mean, you kind of you were always competing national circuits because it was just there was tournaments to go to, or uh, you know I mean, when did you sort of say to yourself, do you know what I uh, I need to be serious about my, my training, and I'm actually I think I have a good shot at being you know really good at this sport and not just sort of 
making up numbers to sort of go to competitions for fun i mean when did it become a serious kind of thing for you to go right i want to i'm going to put a few gold medals in my pocket and the rest of you can be damned yeah i'd say um so right up through sort of when i was let's say 12 to 15 so you know you're talking color i got my black belt at 15 so I was sort of, you know, like hit and miss. I'd take a gold. Next one, I wouldn't get a medal. Next one, I'd get a silver. Next one, I'd get a bronze. I just, I'd go in, have a go. And, you know, mm. I was up there with the lads in, in my group and stuff. And then um, I'd say when I was about 14, a good mate of mine, uh, Connor Grassic, he competed in WTF. So he would have been, he was very good at their sport and he competed on their Irish team. And he started okay. telling me he was representing Ireland. And so that really got me going, well, geez, I'd love to represent Ireland. And yeah, yeah. So I started asking Mr. Jones about the Irish team and he started filling me in on um, basically the system on how it works, the way their squad sessions and you go through a selection process. So that really took my interest and I started to sort of, just have that in the back of my mind all the time. Mm. Like when I was training, I was just saying like, I'd like to get there. Um, so like, and then, so when it came around and I got selected for Argentina, the world championships, uh, went over again, not, not knowing what was over there, not knowing the standard, went out my second round. I got beaten by a Slovenian, uh, held my own, but like, you know, I was, I was below par in the division. Like I wouldn't have gotten near a medal. So this um, is, this is junior worlds in Argentina. Is this would have been junior worlds in Argentina in November, 2009. I was 15. Yeah. Okay. And, then, uh, and then the next one, I was thinking that that would have been the one and I got beaten there again. And it was after, so uh, after Sweden, 2010, my dad went to that one and he saw a lot of little, um, he's always had a good eye for things. He, he knows what he's looking at and he really was very influential then. And, um, had a big impact on how I sort of started preparing for competitions and yeah. uh, helped me out with training and stuff. And that's when I really upped my level. And that's when I became sort of, I would consider myself a, a medal prospect. Um, and I would have been really pushing for medals. And it turned out to be the Slovakia European Championships in the t- 2011, October. That was my first gold medal then. And sort of was, I went on from there and was uh, successful as a senior. Yeah, so do you think that was important to have that good junior run before going senior? Yeah, it definitely helped, all right. But even still, um, like going into senior, there was another step up. Like I lost my first two senior competitions before I had any success. What uh, was that What was that like, you know, going from junior world champion, here we go, I'm, I'm you know, I'm up there now and you go out and you're out. In, uh, like, were you... Was that kind of humbling? I mean, did you have to kind of kind of dust yourself off and go, right, I'm not all I'm cracked up to be here? Or, or was it sort of, oh, I kind of thought I expected as much? Or like, give us To be honest, I, I actually think, um, yeah, you're right. It, it made me, oh, yeah, a little bit cocky, I'd say, because so I won the, so the Europeans in the October, I won. Then I was in my leaving cert year, so I didn't do the junior Europeans in the April. I didn't compete in that one. Ah, okay. so now we're fast forwarded. Now we're in October 2012, and it was the World Cup in Brighton. Yeah, I was. At so that this one. is my first senior competition. I turned 18, and I put in a serious amount of training for it. And to be honest, I just thought I had the game figured out. Like you know, yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. no one's gonna touch me here. And uh, Ryan had won two Europeans at this stage, so we hadn't been beaten now in a year and a half internationally. Mm-hmm. So I'm going like you know. Pfft, this is, oh, nobody's gonna touch me here like I'm, yeah. 
And then I got beaten in the quarterfinals. So it was a little knockback and it sort of reminded me that I needed to maybe just go back to the drawing board and that I had made a step up in competition when I when I went to senior. And do you remember um, that quarterfinal match? I do, yeah. It was actually and it was against the uh, Ludwig Sale is his name from uh, Norway. Okay. I ended up fighting another I he beat me at that one and I, I went on I beat him three times after that. Yeah. Um but it was a good one then. It was a good good he's a tall guy as well. So uh, that's what sort of I struggled with that, you know. I think yeah, he even has a bit of height on me. He's very tough yeah, yeah. himself. Um so yeah, we ended up having a few good matchups after that and we're we be good mates now, like he's selling that. That's cool. I mean, uh, it's uh, so. I mean, here we are now. You're at sort of 2012 World Cup is gone. Um, where 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 does the kind of competitive journey go now? And I mean, like, how did you how did you bring yourself up now to go? Okay, right. I, I thought I was working hard at junior, and I thought I had my my, my myself figured out. Like, what 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 changed in your training? What changed in your mind and your approach? Like, how did you? How did you sort of say, right, let's get on? Funnily enough, uh, 2013 wasn't really a great year either. Uh, well, look, nationally and everything it was, I, I actually I won the Irish Open for kickboxing, mm-hmm. um, which was a big win as a senior. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had won all the national competitions in Ireland uh, for taekwondo and kickboxing, actually. I won the kickboxing nationals that year. So I had a really good year nationally. But internationally, uh, I didn't get picked for the Europeans in Sweden. Um, in April, which I, I wasn't happy about at the time. A um, mm-hmm. little bit of political stuff there, but it's water under the bridge between me and the lads. Uh, so Hong and Dylan Fitzgibbon ended up representing Ireland that year sure. uh, at the Europeans. And then I got back in for the World Championships in um, in Benidorm. Yeah. And I was beaten at that one as well. I was beaten in the quarterfinals to an Argentinian. Uh, very good, solid lad, smart lad. Um, and that I remember after that one, so thinking that I had learned my mistakes from Brighton, put in a serious training camp for the Worlds in Benidorm and then got beaten. So I was devastated after that. I was really like gutted. Like I remember, geez, that was one of the, that, that took me a bit of time to get over and everything. Um, and then I just, uh, that was it then. I hadn't, didn't lose after that. Like, you know, just whatever happened. Uh, to be honest as well, I, 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 le- I was just learning so much from them defeats and then watching the divisions and like I just um just got momentum then once I won the Europeans European Cup I just I got confidence then and the rest is history. Yeah, and I mean it's it's interesting like because uh, I keep seeing this uh, this pattern over and over again. People who are successful at the top end of the spectrum, they've always gone through a load of sort of you know adversity that they have to kind of grind out and sort of. It- taking losses that you didn't see coming and, and dusting yourself down and getting back in the saddle it just seems to be the only way people succeed in this game i don't think anyone kind of had oh yeah i always had a perfect history yeah no, never lost much no it was all good it just yeah. doesn't seem to happen right i mean people always oh. have these stories of like and i was really focused and then it just it didn't work and you kind of i think that's really uh speaks a lot to the sort of mindset you need to approach these things you know Funny that you say that actually, because um, I actually uh, I've been getting a good bit of reading in over this uh, sort of quarantine. Like you know, I did sports science in college, so mm. I love to still read up on articles and stuff like that related to it. And I found a good one. Actually, I'm trying to think. Uh, John Mackey might have sent it on to me, or he advised me of it. I can't remember. Anyway, it was about um, it was a study done on I think American footballers, okay, um, over in America, obviously, and uh, they. 
it looked at so it basically uh, categorized them into three categories these players so it was like elite um so so guys who are really successful uh, in their career some guys who are maybe moderately successful and then guys yeah. who weren't successful at all and it was nearly directly proportional to the guys who were really successful and achieved great things weren't successful at all in their childhood and teen years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guys, is the whole late specialization argument thing. I think yeah, I, I, I think he pushed this on to me as well. I'll send this on to you if you haven't got it. And then the guys who uh, experienced very little um, success as a senior were a lot of them were extremely dominant in their younger ages. Mm. So as you said, maybe they hadn't faced that diversity. They hadn't faced adversity. So when it did happen, maybe then their later lives, they weren't great at dealing with it or they didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. Whereas other guys had sort of had it the whole way up. And it, they just it's a matter of, all right, well, if stuff doesn't go right, dust yourself off and go again. It was very interesting. Yeah, I, I find that whole skill acquisition stuff really, really, you know, it's a fascinating area of uh, I'm doing. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in that whole area myself. And I'm reading a lot about this. Uh, I'm reading a book called Range by a guy called... Uh, name's gone epstein is his second name but i can't remember his first name and i don't know which one david fc maybe david FC. anyway anyway and he's all about that whole idea that you know it's not about sort of tiger woods approach where you get a golf club when you're two and you stick with it forever you know he's very much in this idea that you play a broad range of sports through your junior years and then specialize much later and these guys go on to be the elite sort of you know men and women in their sports and uh so it makes me wonder did you did you did you play many sports when you were going up through the taekwondo career I did, yeah. Like, I would have played Gaelic football right up until I was 15, like, you know. And it was only when I got selected for the World Championships that then I said, okay, I'll, um, I'll park the football. And just yeah. that's when I started becoming... Like, in school, I did uh, cross-country. Uh, then I played Gaelic football, taekwondo. Um, I would have been always out playing football on the street with my mates and stuff like that. So I probably... I don't know if I actually answered it. To answer your earlier question, I probably only started taking Taekwondo re- really seriously and training more than two, three times a week when I was 15. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. 15 and a half, like, yeah. So um, it's something that I'm always conscious of now with my kids in the club. Like, you know, um, just inc- we encourage all the, the, the kids and their parents to keep them in football, keep them in yeah. swimming, keep them in squash or whatever the hell it is they're playing. Yeah, I, I, I'm i the same. Like, you know, there's guys come to me and they go, oh, football's changed your choose. It's like, okay, go play football and maybe we'll see you on Thursday, you know, or maybe we'll see you next year, you know, just we're playing the long game here. It's okay. That's it, 100%. Just go, have fun, whatever you're having fun doing. Yeah, and, and then that, that just comes back to what we were talking about, about loving something. If you look like... Whatever you're loving, go with That's, it and say you will be yeah, successful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like. I mean, it's great to have talented people in the club, you know. But if they don't enjoy it, you can't force them to stay, even no matter how talented they are, right? Uh, and nor should you. I mean, but like, cool. So I mean, we're still on the, still on the. So I mean, yeah. Like I said, after the sort of, um, was it Europeans in Slovenia? Is when you were saying you you. The, the, my last loss yeah well the one before you really started to peak on I just want to pick it up from that there and see where... Worlds and Benidorm Worlds and Benidorm sorry thanks yeah um, so after that I mean it was like you say it was it was it was non-stop from then and I mean that's that's uh, is there any kind of standout moment in that period for you where you thought this is this is you know I'm really I'm doing what you know I'm, I'm smashing records here like where where could I go with this like 
Well, to be uh, just to uh, so after Benidorm, mm-hmm. um, and so in between Benidorm and the next competition, which was the Europeans in Italy. What year um, was this? So this is now. So Benidorm would have been October two thousand thirteen. Yeah. And then the Europeans in Italy would have been April two thousand and fourteen. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had to get my appendix out in at the end of January or beginning of February. I can't remember when it was. It was sometime around there. And so I was actually I wasn't supposed to be even going to the Europeans in Italy. Yeah. Um, and there was gonna be two guys in the spot. I think I can't remember. There ended up being a spot available for me at minus seventy. Um, so by the time I sort of got all my recovery and everything in, I think I only had six weeks, five weeks maybe to prepare for the competition. And that was a slow initial start because I, I'd been coming off doing nothing after getting my appendix out. Yeah. And the only reason why I went to the competition was because Ryan was going. And I was like, you know what, I'll just go and compete. Like I, I wasn't expecting much of myself at all. And then I went and won the competition. I had six <laughs> tough fights. So that sort of taught me a lot about mindset and how I should be sort of approaching the competition. It went, And then when I compare that to Benidorm and Brighton previous to that, I probably trained nonstop for 16 weeks in the lead up to them. Not one injury, not one anything, just nonstop. And that's, I just, I probably piled a lot of pressure on myself. Mm. But in Italy, I was sort of going in being like, let's see what happens here. And I ended up winning like. Do you think that's sort of, that's, a, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting one and a, do you think that's sort of played into that fact there? Like you said, I mean, did you add too much in the other, too much pressure, too much headspace not not being given? I mean, um, it's a weird one, right? It's a, you'd, be, you'd be hard pushed as a coach to sort of go, you know what? I don't want you to take this too seriously. Maybe let's not train for six weeks and we'll pick it up in a few, uh, you know, it, it'd be... I know. But, you no, know. It's crazy. I suppose just as a coach then we can maybe... Uh, in order to get some part of that mindset in, making our training sessions enjoyable, like, you know, and mm. interactive. Richie Ford is doing a lot on that at the moment. Yeah. Like, you know, rather than having it sort of, you know, prison-like and uh, dictating what goes on the session and having it like grueling training sessions all the time, make it fun, make it challenging. Um, and maybe, maybe that can create that mindset that I had going into that competition. Yeah. It's that sort of relaxed attitude of, well, I don't really expect anything out of this. So, I mean, you know, I wonder, it's a, it's a weird one to sort of, <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you instill that in, in competitors to be sort of chilled? <laughs> you know, it's very, very strange. Um, okay. So, I mean, that's, that's, that must've been a nice little kind of confidence boost then after that happens. I mean, that was it. So then I just, then it was the European Cup in, uh, where was that? Hungary at the end of that year. Um, I won that and again all the time like so in them two competitions I, I beat the bulk of the best minus 70 competitors there was so like in my head I was always trying to get better from competition to competition but I just after them two especially I was just like okay like once I uh, get good preparation in and I'm in good physical condition I had a belief that I was like I'm not going to be beaten like you know because I was like I'm after doing it twice before I can do it again and again and again. Um, so I just always, I never left any stone unturned in training. I was, it sounds cliche, but like I was, I was training as if I hadn't won. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have to uh, try too hard to do that. I don't know how, where that came about. It just, I had it in my head. I, I never got complacent. And it, that sort of came from having my dad around and having my dad and my mom, both of them in my ear. Like they'd always, 
be very uh they wouldn't put you up on a pedestal that type of thing like you know no yeah, matter yeah. what come back from winning the competition you still got to do your chores when you get back yeah, that right time. right yeah yeah there you go and then we'd we'd highlight the weaknesses from a particular competition although i had won we'd sit down and pick apart everything that i did bad or everything every mistake that i made and then so it was always about chasing the perfect performance not getting the gold medal it doesn't matter about the medal it was always about chasing that perfect performance right. and i think that's what really helped them gold medals keep coming in i mean you mentioned your brother a few times as well. I mean, does that add having a partner there in, in the house that kind of keep you accountable? Who's going through the yeah. same journey? Yeah, yeah, I know that's cool. Yeah, and just you know, and then especially now, do you know, like during the quarantine, yeah. like, like I, my training's been going well, but sometimes I'm just getting dips in motivation because, and likewise, so is he, because I'm like, like when is my next fight gonna be? I don't mm. know. So then it takes the other one to go, come on, will you? Like, we're not, we're not doing anything else, we're going running <laughs> or we're going out to the shed, whatever it is, yeah, and yeah. it just it just helps that way, you know. Yeah, it's nice to have a, a secondary backup to your own, big time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's great. Okay, so I mean, talk to me then. Where are we at? Are we at 16, 17 around this time now? Around t- well, 2015 then was a big year. I won the Worlds and Europeans yeah. in the same year. That was always a goal. Um, a few guys, a few of the coaches, and I often heard people saying that you're really considered one of the sort of tops when you win a Worlds and Europeans in the same year. Like People okay. used to say, like, you can get lucky in winning a one-off Europeans, or you can get lucky. I'm not saying people get lucky. Well, it happens. But you can win one here and there. But right. when you win the two big ones in one year, the Worlds and the Europeans, there's no cheating that. So uh, <laughs> 2015, when I got that, that that was nice. Like, you know, um, and it was quite, like, I was happy with my performances in the competitions, which was good too. Mm. Um, and then, yes, 2016 was much of the same. I actually did a wacko kickboxing Europeans in 2016. Um, rather than go to the World Cup in Hungary, the World yeah, Cup in yeah. Hungary was on, and I went to the Wacko Europeans instead. And I was beaten at that in my second, in the quarterfinals, I think it was, but it turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made because I learned so much from that competition too, yeah, just about cool. different styles and what was out there and Wacko and stuff like that. It really opened up a different world to me. And did you go? Do you, I mean, were you training kickboxing as well in, in tandem yeah. training? I was training kickboxing at the time with Robbie Ha in a yeah. league fighter. Um, I started training around there back in 2011. Right. Um, and that's, I, I, we, me, myself and Ryan, like, competed nationally and internationally in kickboxing alongside our taekwondo for years just because we wanted to compete. We wanted to compete so much, like, you know. So, like, I'd say around from 2012 to 2017, I'd say we fought over 10 times a year mad like i mean because that's not you know it's it's not like it's a it's a it's a funded sport either it's expensive to do this do you know what i mean uh yeah like that's like i didn't any of them years. i didn't go on holidays any of yeah. them years like you know all my money was put aside for these competitions i was working part-time in uh, marks and spencers at that time i didn't have the club and um, just every spare penny i had went on competitions uh camps new gear um yeah that was it like you know that's just that was what we put our our time and effort into for years yeah it's, it's again it comes back to that if you love what you do you don't mind you know i mean 
that's that's really really cool i mean it speaks a lot to the, the sort of unseen work i love that that image of the pyramid of success or the, the iceberg sorry you know oh, you I like that, yeah yeah where you see the t- tip of the iceberg and then underneath you see all the grinding and rot that you have to go through to get there and i mean these sort of stories i love eking these out of people like that i mean that, that's cool you know um so i mean you've gone double now in, in world's euros you've had this eye open and wacko experiences it's all culminating then to go towards 17 worlds in ireland was that yeah so then in 2017 um i did worlds and euros again um euros in april and worlds in october and ryan did that along with me ryan mm. had a he had stopped competing in he missed a couple of taekwondo competitions yeah, no. in college he competed in wacko too there was a few things going on so then 2017 he came back so we both won the europeans and we both won the worlds Um, so we we're like right this is a good sort of platform now we've achieved a lot of our goals and um, we had been talking about the MMA for a while and mm. we had been trying like the thing with the MMA uh, so with its increasing popularity and us wanting to do it like we would have kept competing in Taekwondo but unfortunately as we we're talking about the funding situation yeah. and with me both of us being in college we didn't have the time then to give let's say a Taekwondo Europeans to give that the time and effort it requires while learning a completely new sport in MMA, you know? So like if we, if it was a case of we were fully funded and we weren't attending college, we would have kept competing in uh, Europeans and worlds right up to this point now, probably where we're turning professional, but it just became a point that we had to stop one. We had to stop competing in the Taekwondo stuff to give the grappling and stuff our our time and effort uh, to get to the standard we need to be. It was a tough decision to make and all, but I think it was the right decision because as I said, we had achieved our goals and our sort of goal is to be like sort of the best ever type of thing. Like, you know, and I think you need to venture into MMA to sort of really test your skills. So that's, that's what we're at. It's uh, I I definitely want to circle on to this point in a while. All right. About it. Um, because it is an interesting, it's an interesting world, and I'd love to get your perspective coming from Taekwondo, and you're, you're kind of hitting a few things. That, yeah, I'll, I'll dig all of that out of you in a minute if you don't mind. Yeah, no, um, no, but at all, we just keep going at whatever. Yeah. I'm wondering, like, I mean, you know, you've had such a successful, you know, tournament career in Taekwondo. Is there? I wonder, can we dig into some of the kind of practical sides of, you know, advice for people who are who are looking at this story and looking at yourself and upcoming fighters, whether they're color belts or junior black belts or whatever, and they're gonna, you know. What's what's your sort of take for people like who have this ambition to go on and be you know national fighters or international champions? What's what's what what do you advise in these people to, to sort of take from or you know what would you put on the on the table for them as first know, thing um, I would say to anyone and this is something I I, uh, I tapped into like I thought about it a while ago and I sort of learned it from myself. You have to really ask yourself and be honest with yourself and ask yourself why you're doing it. Um, and sort of go, am I doing this to get a few Instagram posts and get likes on Instagram? Am I doing it to have in my bio that I'm a national fighter? Like, really, what, or is it because you, like, deep down, like, you, you have sort of a desire to be the best and to win a world's and Europeans? Like, where is it coming from? Is it to, like, is it just to go socialize with your friends through Taekwondo and go on a bit of a holiday? while competing so that's one thing i'd say sort of look yourself in the mirror and go right is this is this what i really want am i willing to make a serious amount of sacrifice for this and if the answer is yeah 
then you, you've you've achieved the first target anyway. And then you need to go and um, seek out the best sparring partners. You need to seek out the best coaches, to watch the best guys, and just immerse yourself in it and just go learn. And uh, no ego. Leave the ego at the door and just, uh, yeah, leave no stone unturned and give it your all. Yeah, that's, I mean... That's, that's solid advice, I think, for for anything in any pursuit in life, not just maybe martial arts, right? Yeah. Um, but you know what? And I I think it's a like a lot of that stuff. Like for example, like most people will have heard that before. But, mm. And when I used to hear it over and over again about different things, you sort of go, ah, that like that's just what people say. But it like it, it is that that's all it is there there's no there's no magic trick there's no magic drill there's no magic conditioning exercise there's no magic youtube tutorial that can teach you like it's just it's blood sweat and tears it's hard work and Absolutely. as we said it goes to every aspect of life you know i mean big time i mean you only have to look at your own example here 2009 out in argentina and then you know nearly what Ten, eight years later, it's 2017, and you're doing double World Euro. Like, I mean, that's that's seven, eight years of graft, right? That's not, you know, I decided to do this next week, and I, I sort of had to go for a few hours, and then it came good. Like, I mean, yeah, there's method there, all right. Mornings, yeah, that's what it's all about. Let's do. Let's talk some of the practical sides of actually ITF sparring, right? Because uh, yeah, there's some of the. Uh, I'd love to pick your brain for how you actually approach style, and, and specifically what you think of of the different styles in ITF Taekwondo. I mean, sparring has kind of changed over the years. There's, there are shots now that, you know, you wouldn't have seen years ago, and there are shots years ago that are straight up minus points now. Uh, so, I mean, how do you approach style in Taekwondo and ITF Taekwondo? I mean, did you consciously say, I have a style and this is how I like to fight? Or did it kind of evolve naturally for you? Were you who were your influences on that sort of stuff? Yeah, it definitely evolved for me. Like, you know, initially I would have been a kicker. Front leg would have been really my most sort of dominant thing. Um, and then I sort of, I got a groin injury around 2014. And uh, I had to, like, I, I didn't want to sit out of training because I would have been bored out of my tree. So I just said for about, I remember for about like months actually, for nearly the whole of 2014, when I was training, I barely kicked and I just used my hands. And then, and I started doing a bit of boxing and stuff like that, just for a bit of crack. That doesn't really cross over that much to ITF. No. But I just noticed putting myself, I used to not even wear my feet pads and sparring so that I wouldn't be tempted to kick. Mm. Um, and I just used my hands. And that just then, from 2015 onwards then, I, I think I would have been most known for my hands rather than my feet, even though I'm a tall guy and stuff. And again, it just came from uh, sort of an injury develop that side of my game and that's what i really like to use then yeah that's that whole constraints led approach thing by accident nearly right where you know you're taking away this thing yeah i didn't intentionally do it nobody told me to do it nobody was really doing that that much at the time Mm -hmm. and it was literally like i said an injury so i said well i'm not sitting up there on the the bench like just watching training i said i'll jump in and use my hands here and like i i got battered at the start because i didn't have my kicks like you know i didn't have my kicks back on i only had hands and then by the end of it my hands were they were my strongest tool you know so um that's yeah so in terms of style like i've never sort of um and i've always uh, been a believer in playing around with different styles and sort of um in training like what let's say i uh, i was after a competition 
And some nights in train, I'd say, all right, I'm just going to mimic so such and such a body. And I'm just going to try, put myself in their boots and have a go at their game and see what I like about it and see what I don't like about it. And then I go, yeah, no, I could take a bit of that for sure. And I'd, I'd like, I'd take a bit out of it. Then the next day I'd mimic somebody completely different and I'd try that. And um, that really helped me sort of piece together aspects of my game for sure. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I like that idea of of kind of <laughs> putting yourself in the opponent's shoes so you know, sort of know what they're doing before they're doing it sort of stuff. That's interesting. Um, what about, I mean, even more sort of, let's go more sort of even sort of rudimentary, right? I mean, because there's common problems that people have to solve when they're sparring, right? I mean, here, here's, here's a common thing that I get all the time from my kind of maybe more junior guys. Like, they're much taller than me. How do I fight the tall guy? Do you know, and I mean, I think height in Taekwondo is one of those things that kind of can be a real asset. You, you, you've been a tall fighter. I mean, you know, <laughs> what's how do you how do you, how do you deal with different types like that? I mean, how are you how do you approach like tall fighters versus shorter fighters? People who like to fight outside these kind of things, you know. So uh, again, just sort of like what you said there, I would have always been the taller fighter, uh, predominantly in my division, and then yeah, sometimes like I came against uh, Colin Ladall from Germany. I yeah, fought him yeah. in a few times. And uh, I was able to beat him in team sparring because, you know, obviously the majority of this work would have been done in the, in the training hall, just preparing for these events. But I used to say to myself, what do I hate when I'm fighting a smaller guy? So right. if I'm stuck fighting a smaller guy, what do I not like them to do? What do I hate when they do? And the answer was move and rapidly change direction and capitalize when I drop my leg heavy. So then when I come against Colin Ladoff, that's what I do. He was taller than me. He was a better kicker than me. He had better reach than me. So I'd move, I'd move, I'd move, I'd move. I'd look and I'd wait for my opportunity. And as soon as my opportunity had arise, I'd go in with the hands. So this uh, that sort of uh, attitude and approach, I, I heard it before that sometimes, uh, I can't remember if it's common among all football clubs or if there was one football club in particular that did it. They would often in training, they'd make the the attackers play as defenders. Yeah, okay. Defenders play as attackers. So you get to see what the other person, you get to see what your, basically your opponents are seeing. So like, some, like I said there, Colin Carroll was a huge uh, uh, training partner of mine over the years. He's like another brother for me and Ryan. And Colin is shorter than us. And in my opinion, he's the fastest. I actually don't think it's an opinion. It's quite standardized. He's the fastest fighter ever in ITF. Um, Blitz of his off the the stop is just outrageous. Oh, it's, it's crazy. So I was very lucky in that I'd have him as well for training. So I'd go, all right, well, I just hate when Colin does this to me, like when he's moving, moving like a blue arse fly. And mm. then he'd, he'd wait for a little gap and he'd be in with his front hand or whatever. So then I'd apply that to taller guys. Um, so now, like, I, I like to, in the club, for example, with the kids, I'll get them to do scenarios where one side is kicker only and maybe they're winning the match. So we'll set the constraint that... There's 30 seconds left. They're three points up. Um, so that means they don't actually have to go forward. Maybe they just, they're sitting back in like a, and just pumping that leg constantly. And mm. the other guys have to get them three points back and just putting themselves in that situation. And then we'll reverse the roles. And then I'll ask them, what do you prefer? What do you like about being the kicker? What do you like about being the blitzer? And we'll just discuss the whole thing. And it lets them experience every style, you know? Yeah, I think that's a really good approach, and I'm doing similar stuff with my own guys. Um, and you know what I found? It's it's 
it's really interesting because the, the ones that wouldn't be kind of mad on sparring when you play sparring with that kind of constraint approach they kind of go oh yeah i enjoy this game because there's a it's more control they feel more in control i mean because you take all the chaos of sparring away and then you kind of remove some of the fear or, or something i don't know it's a it's fantastic to see that that work on, on especially on kind of kids as they build up then their confidence comes out because suddenly like you say you set a game up where if they like being a kicker they, they, they'll 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 get more out of that game and then they're kind of yeah, I think it's really cool. Yeah. One thing um, I, I got off Richie, actually, myself and Richie would talk quite a bit about mm. methods and different things that work, was um, he, his sort of theory is to make everything like like a game. Um, yeah. And by, by make it, uh, you have to sort of come down to their level. So when I sort of opened the club, um, I hadn't had any experience. I, like, I can't remember what it's like to be training at that age. Yeah. yeah. And like, I, I just don't remember what it's like. So from, sorry, there's a bit of light there. Just annoying. I'll move this way. Yeah. Um, so like my last couple of years or my last time competing in Taekwondo was at the highest level, the elite level. Yeah. So like we wouldn't use games as a method of training. We talk. So he was sort of saying to me, you know, you, you have to remember that they're, they're kids. Like, you know, so he does stuff like, you know, okay whatever the constraint is and whoever gets five sidekicks first, the other person has to do 10 burpees. Yeah. Like, yeah. see, that's not something we would have, me and Ryan would ever train like, but the kids love it. And as you're saying there, the kids that don't particularly like sparring, they can relate to that because it's mm. like a competition for them. So that's something that I've really, uh, I see that, that they like that and, and they respond well to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's often, it's often difficult not to sort of coach kids as, as little adults, right. You know, uh, that's it, yeah. And you need to take that approach to them, or else you just you don't get you just don't get bite in, and you don't get results. Um, I'm kind of like let's the, the conversation's kind of naturally evolving this way. I mean, when you went then to open a club, what was the sort of what was the driving force around? When when did you open the club actually? Uh, opened the club at the end of 2015. 15. Okay, cool. So I mean, you're still heavily competing, and there's still, uh, so. What was the any any specific reasoning behind saying I want to be an instructor now? Was that it was just um in college we had had a couple of coaching modules mm. um and we I was starting to sort of look into I was it was just interesting me a little bit about different coaching methods and stuff and I was like you know what like it was something that I'd been thinking about on and off for about a year and then it was just when i um when i started reading this stuff and all, i was like you know what i wouldn't mind starting to pass some of this knowledge on and trying to just develop a little a little group and a little uh, club and like i didn't really know what my intentions were at the start like in terms yeah. of it and at the start it was very small like you know we myself and ryan wouldn't be very big on social media really and are uh, very tech savvy with that sort of thing so I think we just did flyers door to door yeah, and yeah. we got a very little response at the start and um we didn't even have a facebook page or a website or anything we're just sort of going about our business and we had a little group and it just started to grow and grow and grow and now we've a great group of guys up there and, and do you know what i love going up to the club like a yeah. lot like i'm missing them terribly during this time I know um, what you mean. <laughs> yeah and we've some kids that are really like we've built up we're building up good relationships with them and they're really they're catching the bug that we caught fucking 10 12 15 years ago like yeah, you know yeah. 
I can see it in them and I can see what they, their love for competitions or their love for other things. So I just, I love just trying to help guide them. If I can have any impact on just guiding them in that journey, like that's, I'd be delighted with that. Like, you know, absolutely. And I mean, had you been coaching at all with uh, with your own, in your own club where you were training? Had you been doing any helping out with that? Or I had done some bits and pieces with Mr. Jones before and yeah. hadn't done it in a while before I opened the club, but there was a time when I used to help out with some of the kids' classes. And uh, again, I enjoyed that and just seeing how they sort of respond to different things. Um, but like the amount I've learned since opening is just ridiculous. Like, you know, that, yeah. like, no... And it was funny, actually, when I first opened or when I was, um, I don't know how I opened that one stage. I was on the phone to Richie and I was asking him for bits of advice on things. And mm. he was saying, look, like, you'll start now in September, whenever you're starting. And the following September, you'll look back and go, what was I doing? Like, you know, the, he was like, you, it, you, you learn on the job. He was like, you just won't figure everything out. You won't do everything right. You'll make mistakes. But he was like, that's just all part of the process. So then I said, I was waiting for the right moment. And then I said, you know what? Feck it. Let's just open. And it, exactly what he said. If I, when I look back to what we were doing, sort of uh, advertising wise, uh, structure to our training wise when yeah. I look back then I'm like oh my god but look it's all part of the process isn't absolutely. it absolutely yeah and I can vouch for that journey as well we've had very similar experience you know um, and it is it's just part of that game and it's and it's and it's, it's, it's a fun side to take one that you don't it's it's another element of it that I really enjoy about the, the martial art right it's not it, it's that kind of yeah it's just a different side of it that giving back side it's kind of really yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, really it's, it's hard, I find, to balance your own training with coaching. And it's very easy to get swept up being a coach and not being a, a martial artist sometimes, you know. Uh, I think that's the, the only caveat for anyone pondering being an instructor out there. Uh, yes. don't, yeah. don't forget to do your own training. I mean, but uh, look, I mean, so, I mean, at the same time now, recently enough, you've kind of gone towards the MMA world as well that's something that's come out and I'm, I'm always fascinated by this question I've been asking other instructors about this and uh, you know I mean Taekwondo as a martial art has its its sort of perception and people have seen and make their mind up about it I mean before years ago you couldn't see what went on in a dojang the doors were closed and that was it tough if you weren't in the club you don't know what happens whereas now the internet shows everything right and we're open and it's open for critique and I think sometimes Taekwondo gets a bit of critique for being, you know, this kind of soft, flicky style that doesn't really have any effectiveness, you know, and it's always, well, that'd never work in MMA. And I mean, I'd really love to gather your opinion in this because, you know, you're you're coming from Taekwondo to MMA and are you finding the crossover working? Are you finding that this martial art is, is oh, it's actually all nonsense and, you know, I had to relearn everything I needed to do or is it is it becoming effective? Is there, like, let's just ponder this topic for a while if you don't mind. No, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm certainly, there are some aspects of it that are so, so effective like that. I've not, I'm, I'm hoping they're the tools that are going to take me to the top, like, you know, solid side kick, good back kick, you know, all this type of stuff. Mm. Um, there's some areas then that obviously aren't so effective, and that's probably more down to the, the rules in ITF at the moment, like, you know, yeah. um, like so like you know uh, the contact at the moment is is a, a topic of discussion for a lot of people like yeah. the way it's after getting very uh it just seems year on year it gets it seems to the tolerance for it is getting less and less which is changing the style and um, so just so i suppose from a technique 
and sort of tools perspective, there's amazing tools in Taekwondo to bring to MMA. Mm. That's there's no question. Hook kick, axe kick, side kick, back kick, back reverse. All these kicks, a lot of the guys in MMA have never experienced, have never had them thrown at them before. I always think that switch back kick has a place in MMA that just hasn't been opened up yet. Absolutely. Uh, so I suppose then it's about how they're applied then. And that's that comes down to the practitioner, I suppose. So like if you're a pure tournament style fighter in the current day um, and all of your, so you're using them same techniques but the sole purpose of them techniques is to score a point, then maybe if you make that decision to go to MMA, there will be some slight tweaking that will be needed in order to get a little bit of power behind them shots and maybe land some damage, which I don't think takes much time. It doesn't take much effort. Uh, small little adjustments will definitely do that. Um, one of the biggest things, I think, for Taekwondo... So the biggest positive for Taekwondo going to, into MMA is the dexterity of the legs and the shot diversity of kicks, 100%. And um, the downside is hands. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was lucky that I had started boxing a couple of years previous before I even moved to MMA and my little bit of experience in kickboxing. So that has helped me with my hands. But when I look at a lot of the current guys in ITF, it's the hands that would let them down in MMA. Not kicks, nothing mm. like that. It would be just the, the hands. Um, yeah, for sure. And is that just because we lack the, the varied range of shots in ITF hands? That you... I think it's more... So because you're not... Uh, we're not allowed to sort of hit hard with the hands. Um, when we punch an ITF, and I've done it for years, we just we arm punch, you know, we yeah that that flick, yeah, and it's to get the score. I did it for years. Um, you're not taught or encouraged to get the hip or body weight behind shots because you'll be penalised for it. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. you're just sort of taught maybe one two three lead leg turning kick, and yeah. it's like boom 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 boom, and it's just tippy tappy which is good for scoring points, but if you were to ever venture into kickboxing or MMA, it's something that would have to be tweaked um, for sure. And it's it just because of the, the rules in ITF. Yeah. You know, so actually, I was only thinking about this today. Uh, I would... So with all the rule changes and that in, in current sparring, it's becoming very, uh, like, well, it has been for the last few years, very, very sport-like, you know, and very unique, a very unique sport in terms of what you're allowed uh, to do and what you're not allowed to do i'd love to see them introduce another discipline and have it as a full contact discipline yeah i mean it's it's, it's something that's always touted right why is there a full contact side to itf taekwondo you know yeah um, like, did you ever watch any clips of that old pro taekwondo is this where they have the the, the blue and the red thing yeah. on yeah yeah i did i've seen a bit of it it's good and one of um one of oleg's you know oleg salovic yeah yeah oh yeah i have seen this yeah yeah his lads, Andre Pashnik, I think his name is. He yeah. was very good in ITF over the years. He won a definitely won one Europeans for sure. Um, he went into that. Now he actually he got beaten by Raymond Daniels, which yeah, there's no shame, no shame that. there. Yeah, but he was quite successful in it, and they ran it before. I remember actually asking uh, Thomas Barada about it at one of the competitions. I was looking to get involved in it, but um, they just he was saying that it's not really done anymore. It's not something they do. They don't. They don't fund it. They don't. Mm -hmm. I don't know where it was where it came from. I don't know where who were the organisers, but it's not something they do anymore. But I'd love to see that brought back in because I think we have some phenomenal athletes, 
And if they were allowed to sort of go in there with, with that intention of, you know, sort of knocking people out, I think you'd see some very entertaining fights. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's that whole that whole debate, right? Is it, a, you know, it's that martial art versus sport sort of problem sometimes. That, That's right, yeah. You know, and yeah, I... I don't know. It's it's just a hard one to call sometimes. I know what you mean. It, and then because of the so when and then when you look at the sort of the philosophy of Taekwondo with it being yeah. you know below one victory and all that, that's why sometimes I just think with the current our current sparring system, it's a it's a little bit contradictory in that manner because you're saying that our patterns and stuff are supposed to be one blow one victory and then competition you get disqualified for a sex of contact now i understand sparring is to demonstrate skill and stuff like that so that's why it'd be no problem just add in another discipline where it can be full contact i think yeah. that'd be see i'm sure you wouldn't be alone or with supporters for that you know uh i understand that the other side of it that it is this controlled element and as you know top martial artists you should have this control that you can stop it on a dime or whatever so i i see both sides to the argument you know yeah um, and especially i think as well when we look at the bigger picture of, of, of taekwondo sometimes with the with the audience that it is now it's not just about i mean with a huge kind of population of kids doing taekwondo right uh, i think right. that you know i don't know if, if if parents would love the idea of full contact sparring for kids you know i don't think i'd love the idea of full contact sparring for kids but i don't know i'd be a fan of that myself so i i can see how there's i can see all the, the roadblocks that would go up straight away to this you know but like you said i mean if there's if there's two sort of senior black belts that want to have a go and maybe maybe we should let them at it i don't know that's it and and i think just by by having the two disciplines it would obviously people who have no interest in that side of it or who wouldn't fancy getting involved. Absolutely. Like, you know, the, the current system is still there to mm -hmm. compete in sparring and it's, it's not full contact. That's yeah. cool. But um, just to have that avenue for people, if they wanted to give it a go, because I think now what, what's happening at the moment is if somebody takes a notion at the moment, let's say a world or European champion or some type of black belt, if they want to, go down a full contact route they have to leave the sport mm. so if it was there within the sport you just keep them in it and then they could go between the two or whatever something to look at and i think if it was discussed i'm sure there could be some middle ground definitely come up yeah yeah i mean we've seen similar things in wacko right where they have the multi-disciplines across yeah multi-disciplines k1 light contact mm. points yeah interesting it'll always it'll always start a debate definitely that's um, it that's it I mean, tell me quickly going forward about the club now. I mean, what's what's the plan for the club? Are you going to try and drive it to be a competitive, successful club? Is it, is, is that in your sphere of, of things that are on your list, or is it strictly your own focus at the moment? And the club is a, is a maybe not so much the the primary focus in terms of development. Is that a long term uh, project? Not the the clubs uh, gets a lot of my attention at the moment because mm. I'm lucky enough now that like you know I finished college last year, yeah. so. All I do at the moment is I train and I teach a club. So like there's 24 hours in a day, take right. eight hours for sleep. I have 16 hours. You can do something like um, that. I can only train for what? Let's say four of them. So I, I've got, I, I plan out all my sessions. I'm always looking at different ways to improve my coaching. Not, the club is very, uh, very much at the forefront of my mind uh, because I, I, I want to give these kids an opportunity that when they come of age, they're ready to pursue international yeah. competition or yeah. high-level national competition, if that's what they wish. Mm -hmm. um, the philosophy sort of I like to keep it, it is for sure a club for all. 
Um, if you don't want to compete, you're not forced to compete, but yeah. we strongly advise that you compete. We, yeah. I know there's a lot of change in there, but like, um, no, I think like we have a similar philosophy to you there as well. You know, don't make anybody do it, but Jesus, I, I just think all kids should be competing in some capacity. You just learn so much from it about life. You just learn so much from it about life. It's not just about martial arts. You just gain so much from it. That's um, it. It's it's fantastic. Do you fancy a few rapid fire questions before we wrap? Which ones? Do you fancy a few rapid fire questions before we wrap? Yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Awesome. What's your favorite pattern? Poirang. Uh, what's the pattern you definitely don't want to get in your next test? Juche. <laughs> what was your toughest fight? Taekwondo, just. Yeah. Um, Ludwig Sale, World Championships 2017. That was in the quarters? Last 16. Last 16, yeah, yeah. Um, what else? Uh, three boards, what do you use to break them? Psychic. Psychic, yeah. Very nice. Um, I'm trying to think what else I can ask you. Uh, da, 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 da. Uh, so, so, yeah, no, I know what you'll say to that. I can't ask you that. Nah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, right, look, I don't know. I mean, it's all just fun and games. Yeah, uh, that's it. Look, Mr. Shelley, I've really appreciated you sitting down and chatting with me. There's loads more we could dig into, and I'm sure we will in the future. You know, we'll meet up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, like we, I could spend the whole night just talking to you about you know coaching and, and how we go about that, as well as you know method, and I'm sure more people would love that. As well as getting a few war stories. I mean, uh, actually, why we have you for war story? I mean, you said Ludwig Sale was your toughest fight. Why? Um, why was that a hard fight? I don't know what happened in that fight, to be honest. Um, first of all, in the lead up to that competition, I hadn't sparred for like four or five weeks. I uh, fractured my eye socket before it uh, in boxing sparring. So I didn't spar for five weeks before that event. And I was actually quite limited in any training I could do because of the, the jolting on the eye and stuff. So the coaches were thrilled with you about that. Yeah, no, know. <laughs> didn't go down too well. But... Um, yeah, so it was touch and go as to even if I was going to compete at the competition. I remember this now, yeah. Um, and then, so what happened, yeah, I was going through my fights. To be honest, I was a little bit shaky just in terms of my distance and timing, I felt. Um, I was always able to do enough to win my spars. Um, but what happened with Ludwig then, um, I was winning comfortably and then uh, you just seemed to claw back a little bit and it just got very close very fast. And uh, it ended up going to first point. It was my first time ever going to first point in Taekwondo. Um, so I beat him at first point. And you know what? It was like somebody just slapped me in the face um, because I went on then. And who are my next three? And Nej, Roman and Camille. And I, they're good lads. And I beat the three of them handy. Like, you know, um, it was just because I, I was that close from sort of yeah, it was a wake-up call you needed. Like, you no, know, I was just like, geez, it actually I hadn't had any majorly close fights for for a couple of years in ITF. Like, you know, I, I hadn't been, and it nearly all got taken away from me there. Yeah, so. yeah. Especially on first point, right? Which is like, you that's know. it. And um, so it was just weird. I I just um, I don't know to be honest with you. I just just things weren't clicking at the time, and then with the. Uh, obviously with my eye thing my distance and stuff wasn't maybe at a sharpest and then just after the fight then i just said right you know what that's not happening again and yeah, i just yeah. i just seemed to up it a few gears for the next three matches which i was lucky to be able to do that but um yeah so i have to call that my closest fight because yeah it was first point my first time ever going there 
Nice, nice. Awesome. Look, I mean, the stories are great and I'm sure you have many more and I'm sure we'd love to get into them. I can see my red light flashing on my camera though, so I don't think I'm going to get much more life out of it. But uh, yeah, look, man, it's been such a great chat with you. I really appreciate it. And uh, look, I hope you stay safe and same to the family and uh, hopefully we'll be back on the mat soon. And uh, I look forward to seeing you out there and we'll definitely have you down to Carrick for a session sometime if you'll be around. Absolutely. Yeah. Same to you. I hope you stay safe and wish all your family wealth in yeah. the next few weeks. Rock and roll, sir. Thank you very much. Look, have a good one. Right, cheers Take for care. having me on. Thanks very Thank much. You're very welcome. Cheers. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye.